Hey, welcome to the Critical View, where we fix and give our opinions on. If we haven't talked about it, it hasn't been talked about. If we haven't reviewed it, it hasn't been reviewed. If we haven't discussed it, it hasn't been discussed. So I welcome you to the Critical View. All opinions and your thoughts are welcome. Please comment in the comment section and welcome to today's episode. Hey, welcome to another episode of Critical View. Today, we'll be talking about mental health and suicide awareness. And today, we have Miss Tamisha Moore, and she can introduce herself. Hello, everyone. Yep, my name is Tamisha Moore. Um, do you want me to go ahead and just like give a background about myself? Yeah, of course, of course. Sure. So um, I have a background in um, mental health awareness and suicide awareness. Um, I have my master's degree in mental health and wellness with, with an emphasis on prevention. Um, I am also um, certified in um, under the Living Works Education. I'm certified to facilitate suicide prevention, which is called Safe Talk. And then I also can do the two-day assist, which is suicide intervention, which is called ASSIST. Um, I'm also certified under the umbrella of, of mental health first aid. So I provide mental health first aid trainings for, we have youth mental health first aid, adult mental health first aid, and teen mental health first aid. So a lot of those trainings are geared around helping um, individuals, whether it be professional or non-professional, being able to um, recognize when an individual is having a mental health challenge and being able to provide them um, support or connect them to a professional person to step in and help. Um, same thing with the suicide prevention and intervention. Same thing. It helps individuals identify the warning signs and symptoms and being able to connect them to um, a suicide first aid professional. So I do a okay. lot of that training as well. Okay. Well, we welcome you and we look forward to you bringing awareness to these very important areas and topics and educating us, especially me, because I. I'm probably um, don't know much about it. So I look forward to talking with you and getting an understanding of what mental health and suicide awareness really is. Okay, so first question. So like what got you interested in in these particular fields of education? Um, it first started off, um, I knew that I always wanted to help people. I just didn't know in what type of capacity. I didn't know if I wanted to be like a, a youth care worker or, or a counselor or, you know, mm -hmm. a teacher or a doctor. And so I think what helped me push me towards this career field is my own personal lived experience. So I have, okay. I've been diagnosed with depression. I've lived with it for over 15 years. Um, okay. I am also a suicide attempt survivor. And so I think that what after I have reached my healing point or what my recovery looks like for myself, I was like, you know what? I think I want to help other individuals, especially the youth being able to you know, feel comfortable enough to kind of share what it is they're feeling about and not feel, you know, judged or blamed for, you know, experiencing this feeling. So I would say my life experience. Okay. So from your 
point of view, like what what is a good age to maybe start paying attention to maybe signs of depression? Like, is it like a particular age or is it just like you just have to know your child or know the person that you're around? You there? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, sorry. So yeah. what is what is the age that you feel like is a good age to start paying attention to warning signs or try to do prevention? So I'm going to say that I don't, there's not a particular age. So I'm not going to say at the age of six, this is where you need to kind of focus okay. on. It really just depends on, I'm just going to say youth, kids in general, and what they experience and go through. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. So you're saying like the, maybe the the way they, they're being raised or the demographic they grow, they're growing up in? Absolutely. Those are definitely considered risk factors, which can increase the likelihood of an individual developing a mental health disorder or, mm -hmm. or potentially having suicidal ideation. Okay, so is this something that, you know, everybody could, like, practice, like, teachers, like, other family members, aunts, uncles, whatever, or is this just something that, you know, parents should focus on? Um, so the trainings I provide, it's for anybody. Um, oh. And so I have provided these trainings to parents. I've provided in school with teachers or, or just school faculty. So not just teachers, nurses, janitors, everyone within mm -hmm. the school. I've provided it in faith-based organizations. So a lot of churches and things in that nature. Um, so it's, it's for anybody. I've even provided some of the training because some of the training allows participants to be as young as 15. And so I've okay. been in the school settings and even um, trained some of like the student council students that wanted to take that leadership role for their peers. Okay. So is this like um, in like every state or is this just like in certain areas? So this is everywhere. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it, it's everywhere. Um, so you can go on to like, um, you can go on the website mentalhealthfirstaid.org and you can search for trainers locally in your area and, and reach out to them, whatever their contact method is. And then also for livingworks.net. Um, okay. That's the suicide prevention and intervention. You can go on that website as well and you can look for local trainers in your area and you can reach out to them to kind of see if they have any upcoming trainings or if they can connect you with someone that does okay so to me it seems like this should be a requirement more so than something selective because you know you you don't want to wait until after something happens you know you want to kind of be proactive okay so let's see what do you feel like it it is more so like when you say when people say mental health it's like i feel like it's a lot that goes into that like it's a lot of different areas of mental health so what is your particular expertise on mental health um so 
there's a difference between mental health, a mental health challenge, and a mental health disorder. So just kind of briefly explaining each one of them. When you think about a mental disorder, that is something that you're being diagnosed. So going to, you know, a psychologist or a therapist and they diagnose you. Maybe even your primary care physician if they have that ability to to diagnose. Okay. That is got to be diagnosed. So I think what, what comes with that is that we live in a world where we tend to, um, use these disorders and uh, and just diagnose ourselves because we feel like we have some of the symptoms like for example a lot of people like to use depression and bipolar and diagnose mm-hmm. themselves saying you know oh yeah i'm bipolar or the weather is bipolar or you know yeah. because they experience sadness they're depressed and when i hear it i try to educate them because that's not how it is um, yeah we just typically use those words not knowing that you can't just first you can't self-diagnose yourself for one and two okay. it's not like that it, for example for depression you have to experience several signs and symptoms for at least two weeks to the point where it's disrupting the way that you live laugh and learn and when i say live laugh and learn i mean like how you function at work how you maintain relationships how you just do your daily activities and if that's if those signs and symptoms are more than two weeks then mm-hmm. that's something that you can go to your doctor and talk to them about but just because you're sad because, you know, just because you're sad because, you know, something didn't go your way or you failed the test or something like that doesn't mean you're depressed because everyone's going to experience emotions and sadness is an emotion that as human beings we're going to experience. But that does not mean you're depressed. Okay, yeah, because I heard people use that all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like that people... Uh, they don't really understand what they're doing because if you saying that just loosely and you're around somebody that actually is going through that, mm-hmm. I feel like that can be very offensive to them. Yes, it can be. Um, and sometimes it can be offensive to me, but then I have to realize that people, they're not, they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know. So what I, I try to look at it from a different viewpoint and just like, okay, you know what? They don't know. Let me try to help and educate them. Okay. Yeah. That, that's why we're talking to the people today. Okay. So dealing with suicide awareness. Okay. Could you speak to some of that? Yes. So suicide awareness. Um, so what I do with the suicide awareness, part of that is I provide those trainings, the safe talk and assist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what it does just kind of help bring that, break that stigma around suicide and even mental health, but break mm-hmm. the stigma around because there's so many negative connotations and stereotypes around mental health and suicide that individuals are, are fearful of being able to share that they may be having thoughts of suicide because they may feel Mm -hmm. like people may judge them or look at them differently or not want to be around them, you know, things in that nature. And so with that awareness through education, with the trainings, I try to help break that stigma and let individuals know that it is okay to not be okay. And if you're not okay, here are some resources that you can reach out to to kind of help. Okay. So, um, do you feel like that enough is being done to help or educate the youth on suicide awareness? 
I do not. Um, with my experience being in the school settings, a lot of the schools don't, they want to help, but they don't want to help. And what I mean by that is that um, when we're talking about suicide or mental health, you know, mm -hmm. that's not something that you can talk about in one day or give a, a, a yeah. med medication and then two hours later it's done. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of school settings are a little bit fearful of that because it's something that they would have to, you know, you know, have more awareness and, and more attention and time and something. And, and a lot of schools don't have that. A lot of schools mm -hmm. are not trained to be able to, to handle situations like that. Even though some schools may have counselors or psychologists, you know, there, oh. a lot of those school counselors are school counselors, yeah. not counselors that you will go to, you know, outside of a school setting where if you had like certain issues that you wanted to discuss and work on. So a lot of them don't really have that training. Um, and so what I have noticed is that a lot of schools more than likely don't reach out for like suicide awareness, education and training like that until mm -hmm. someone in their school dies by suicide. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what what do you think that some step of course is no is no like magical answer, but for you personally, what do you feel like is some steps that could be done to at least take steps forward to try and do better than what's been done? I think overall as we need to recognize, understand and accept the fact that suicide is the second leading cause of death from ages 10 mm -hmm. to 34. Okay. And so with knowing that fact that that's across the, you know, the states, that mm -hmm. is the second leading cause of death from ages 10 to 24, that's statistically, that's fact. You can find it on the CDC. This is not something, you know, that I'm making up because mm -hmm. we know that that's a fact. Then we should be implementing in the school settings, even in youth based organizations that work with youth, even mm -hmm. adults that professionals be trained that should be automatically a, a requirement and i know that certain states i'm you know because I, I i've lived in arizona for 10 years so i'm more familiar mm -hmm. with arizona that there's the the school the education system for teachers it is required that they have i think anywhere between four to six hours or four to eight hours of suicide prevention so okay. and that's something that you can research and look in each state and see if the you know Teachers are required to have a certain amount of hours towards suicide and prevent suicide prevention and mental health okay. awareness. So I think okay. starting off with that, if we can implement that in, in, in professional settings, starting with that first and then start to reach out towards our communities. Okay. So, okay. Speaking of communities, like, so if, if somebody wants to, change this in their area like would they need to contact like council people congress people or like who should they contact if they want to what change what in particular if they need to be implemented in their school systems and in, in their workforce in their area like who should they contact um i would i would um i would say reach out to your school district okay. and reach out Inside of that, because you kind of got to do like a chain of command, so you kind of have to work with the school school districts. But okay. 
some parents, if if they have a really big presence within their within their kids' school settings, mm-hmm. they can reach out to the principals and, and you know you know PTA meetings where teacher you know parents go in and things like that. If they have a really big presence in the school settings, then they they may not necessarily have to go the school district route, but they can you know talk to the yeah. principal and see how they feel about you you know bringing in some type of suicide awareness and mental health awareness and things in that nature for their kids. Okay. So back to uh, mental health, I feel like that um, this is nothing new, but I feel like people now, uh, let me see, what am I trying to say? I feel like this has been going on since forever, but I feel like that a lot of people tend to not take it as serious as they should. I agree. I, I agree. I think that it, it, it has always been present. I don't mm-hmm. think that it was as big of a presence, you know, a hundred years mm-hmm. you know, ago than it is now. Because as the world, we're forever changing and evolving and things are happening and things in that nature. Um, but I definitely think that the presence is a lot bigger. And I think that we are slow. We're, we're making better strive to recognize this but there's still so much stigma around it that it makes it hard for individuals just to really have that open and direct conversation with people without feeling you know um bad or feeling you know judged or shamed but i think um there's so many variables that impact that it's the culture your beliefs your values religion Mm -hmm. all that comes into play where it makes it really hard for individuals just to really be you know open and direct with people because because of those things okay so do you feel like that um therapy is is a kind of a way to help with the with uh mental health Yes, I think that that is a form of treatment. Um, I, th- I definitely believe it's a form of treatment. I myself have um, been to a counselor and a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it works for me. Um, I would say to people that when it comes to treatment, I, I try to encourage individuals to be open-minded. Mm-hmm. And not just say, you know, yeah, I don't talk to people. Or, you know, certain cultures, like, for example... I, for the African-American community, uh-huh. you know, what goes on in this house stays in this house. We kind of raised with that type of belief where, you know, True. whatever happens in this house, we go keep it between us. You know, you don't need to go talk to nobody or, you know, think about it or pray on it. And sometimes that's not just enough, you know, yeah. you can pray on it, but then you may need some additional things to kind of help you reach, you know, your individual recovery and what that looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Okay. So, with mental health being uh, focused on a lot now, is like is like family history important when I guess with diagnosis or trying to prevent? Um, so yes, um, your family history genetics can definitely be a risk factor. So, like, if your father had depression and your mom had bipolar or your grandmother, your maternal grandmother mm-hmm. had schizophrenia and, and whatever, it can definitely increase the likelihood. It doesn't necessarily mean that your child is going to have a mental dis- mental disorder, but uh-huh. it can increase the likelihood because it runs in the family. 
Okay. So is it a way that maybe that could be checked? Like, you know how for other other issues that you might have, like they say, your family history can maybe make you more likely than not to have something? Is it something that they could maybe try and test for at certain benchmarks to help? What do you mean? Like, when you refer to benchmarks, are you talking like their age? Yeah, you know, like a yearly, like they get yearly physicals, maybe every so often, maybe you just do a, I don't know what you would call it, maybe a checkup just to see where, like, what's the mental of maybe teenagers to young adults? Not necessarily. Um, Not necessarily. Like, so if... If let's say, for example, you know, the parents or the grandparents mm-hmm. or somewhere along the line, the family line, there's a history of mental disorders. Okay. Like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean that the child will have a mental disorder. It just increased the likelihood. And so if this is where, you know, the family, the parents, the guardians come into play. And if they know that there is a history and they're, you know, they're having kids and they can set things in place to kind of help the kids decrease the likelihood of developing a mental disorder and those are considered protective factors and so those can be things like you know um if you're a religious person you know go mm-hmm. turn into your your religion it can be if you you know if you're a spiritual person it could be you know incorporating meditation or journaling to kind of express your feelings um if you like to be out in the nature you know things in that nature so there's things that kind of help set in Okay. Definitely. Um so do you feel like that you there? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, that that sounds that sounds great. Okay. So do you feel like that it is is it like more so women and girls or boys or men or it just varies based on the person? Good question. Um, so this is just some facts. And again, all of this is on the CDC. You can research this. Um, so women tend to have more suicidal thoughts um, mm-hmm. than men in the sense. Men, so women, women tend to have more of the thoughts. Mm-hmm. Men have the thoughts, but they are more likely to act on the thoughts, if that okay. makes sense. Um, yeah. And then usually with the men, they usually turn towards firearms. Okay. So weapons. Um, and then with that too, studies have shown that, you know, usually, you know, when I think about the top three or four um, indiv- uh, groups of or populations that are more likely to have thoughts of suicide, um, mm-hmm. no particular order because I forgot the order, but you have veterans. Okay. You have Native Americans. Mm-hmm. You have um, also uh, the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, I apologize because I know the, the acronyms and the letters constantly change. So I know it's a lot longer than that. Um, and then what I say, older white males. Okay. Um, so typically that's like the top four of those that population, those group of individuals that tend to have more suicidal ideations. But yes. Okay, so is it? I've heard this before. I don't know if it's true or not, so I'm gonna ask you. So yeah. it says like people who have high stress jobs 
are more likely to become depressed or have suicidal thoughts. Is that any truth to that? Like your job can impact that? Okay, I will say that your job can impact it, but I'm not going to necessarily say high-stress jobs because it could be jobs in general. If you don't like your job or if it's a hostile environment, all those okay. things come into play. But I, I think that, you know, your job does play a part in that, especially if you are not providing self-care for yourself. Okay, definitely. So self-care... So what are what are some of the things that you do to help you when you might feel yourself maybe going into a depression? So for self-care, it's not so much of going into depression. So self-care is a is what um, is how you can how you can promote your individual wellness. Okay. so. I'll use an example as, so there's this thing called a self-care wheel. And so you can research this, um, the self-care wheel, and it's from the Olga Phoenix, um, but it's a self-care assessment worksheet. And so you can just type it into like Google or your search in it and it will pop up. And so with that self-care, we talk about life balance. And so it focuses on like several different dimensions, like your physical, your professional, your personal, your spiritual, emotional, psychological. And so it kind of breaks down, for example, since we're talking about job, we're talking about professional. And mm-hmm. so these are things like, let's say, you know, you've had a several or, you know, several days or maybe leading up to a week of a bad day at, at you know, bad week at work to the point where maybe it was high stress and you had an assignment that needed to be due and you spent so many hours at work and then after hours trying to submit this work on Friday that you're just so stressed out and you feel like you're depleted, like you have no more energy left. So Mm -hmm. see how it can start off with professional. Now we're leading into physical where you fatigue and you haven't really been sleeping and haven't really been eating because all your energy has been on this assignment. Mm -hmm. So self-care is how you can provide that life balance. Think of it like a battery, right? As individuals, we're a battery. And so things pull from us, right? It takes Mm -hmm. energy from us and our battery dies like our cell phones. And if we don't charge our cell phones, like we charge ourselves, then Mm -hmm. this is where we start to feel fatigued and tired and irritable and frustrated. So this Mm -hmm. is where you have to figure out what works for you. So for example, some of my self-care things that I like to turn to is, I'm going to be honest, I like to play video games. Okay. Um, that gives me a moment where I'm out of reality, out of touch with reality. I get to just enjoy the game. I get to talk smack and just not be professional and just kind of be myself and have fun. Yeah. Or I like to read or watch movies like or I like to meditate. And so okay. when we think about self-care, it's not just the physical. But unfortunately, as human beings, we tend to only focus on just the physical, like our back starts hurting or our feet are yeah. tired and I'm sleepy and I'm hungry, but not thinking that. You know, if you're a spiritual person, you may need that extra meditation. You may need to be outside or you may need to pray, you know, so there's different components. And so that's why I said research that self-care will. Um, You can also look at the SAMHSA, uh, which is the eight dimensions of wellness as well, which is another tool that I use as well. Um, And I also talk about this in the mental health trainings that I do, because, again, 
and this doesn't just apply to professionals, it can apply to anyone. We're think of ourselves as batteries. And when we put into energy into other people or or to other things, either we put into it or they take from us, we have to charge ourselves. Can no one else do it but ourselves? Absolutely. If we do that. That's when, for example, work settings, people quit. There's burnout or people, organizations constantly hiring people because people are quitting and they're tired and they're burning out because they're not taking care of themselves, providing that self-care, bringing balance to themselves. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds like a lot of great advice. Okay. So I've heard this on the news. So I'm at, did, do you feel like that the pandemic affected a lot of people mentally? Yes, I do. So there, um, trying to think of the name of it. Uh, so studies, they just came out a recent data, the CDC. And so what happens is that um, the CDC comes out with updated information like every two years. And mm-hmm. so this recent information data that came out is for 2020. Okay. And so it'll probably be another year and a half, maybe close to two before we get the, the data from the rest of 2020, 2021, and 2022. Yeah. And so studies have shown right now that um, the pandemic hasn't really impacted or really um, um, increased the chances of individuals having thoughts of suicide. Uh-huh. We, us professionals that works in this field, that feel as if when they update this data for the you know the next two years, it will include yeah. that um, because it forced a lot of people to. You know, we were quarantined, staying at home. So if individuals are dealing with things at home that kind of triggered them or, you know, like an abuse or neglect, you know, things like that happening at the yeah. home and people are quarantining, people are are, are forced to kind of be around, be around that environment. So I definitely um, believe in, 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 I definitely believe that um, once these new data stats come out, it will definitely mm-hmm. show that the, the pandemic has definitely played a role in, um, mental health and suicide okay okay that sounds great okay so what are what what are some ways that a spouse could i guess help their significant other with their mental health or suicide awareness um I think it's it, it, it all boils down to communication. Um, okay. And communicating with your significant other, family members, mm-hmm. being, being, and then when you are communicating, you want to be open-minded and non-judgmental. You want them okay. to feel comfortable enough to come and talk to you and share with you what they're going on. Mm-hmm. You know, what they're going through, what they're experiencing, what they're feeling. And if you have that type of mindset going in, then it makes it easier for you and that person, whoever that is, to kind of brainstorm and think of ways to kind of help that person. Okay. Makes sense. So basically it's like check on people, make sure that they're okay and let them know that they're not alone. Correct. Okay. And provide them resources. Okay. Yeah. Then that's why we're going to provide them with, you know, websites, phone numbers, whatever we can do, because I feel like that a lot of people are 
overlooked and they slip through the cracks and they feel like that, you know, nobody cares about them or nobody really pays them attention. But, you know, we here to let them know that we see you and we care about you. Right. Okay. So let's see. Okay. Back to mental health. Mm-hmm. Um. So when somebody's going through something like does does they do they really should they reach out to a professional immediately or should they try and talk to somebody in their family um i mean it depends on what signs and symptoms they are experiencing if it's something that's very um severe like Mm -hmm. Right, jumping right to the suicidal ideations, then yeah, yeah. I mean, you can talk to your family as well. But I would definitely say reach out to a professional. I mean, you can call like you can call like the Suicide National Prevention Hotline number, and mm-hmm. um, they can um, you can talk to them. And usually, you would stay anonymous unless uh, you know the, the thoughts are yeah. are, are um, severe, where you already have a plan or you already have the means or the weapon or whatever yeah. in your hand or something like that, then they would use, they would usually um, transfer you to a local um, crisis, you know, mm-hmm. center in your area or a mobile so crisis easy. team that can come out to you. But so these um, are 24 hours, right? Yeah. So the national suicide prevention hotline number, that is 24 hours. I, I So unless you know of the actual, you know, crisis centers mm-hmm. locally in your area. I will start with the National Suicide Prevention Life my number because they know them, and then they can they can directly transfer you or give you the contact number to those centers locally in your area. Okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. And folks, at the, before we end this, we're going to get you websites and you know information. So if you know somebody that's going through that, or you're going through that yourself, or just to have it you know, on hand because you never know who you might meet or run into. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get uh, get you the website so you can get trained and, you know, take care of each other. Absolutely. Okay. So what is, what is your next steps of educating on the educational level for suicide awareness and mental health. So what I have recently done not too long ago, I have created my own LLC. It's called Mentally Holistic. And so you can find that on Facebook and Instagram, just typing in Mentally Holistic. Um, and so what I have done is um, I kind of went into business for myself. And so what I do is I... Um, collaborate Mm -hmm. partnerships with organizations um across the states so not just in colorado and arizona everywhere um, and just provide training so i work with those organizations to provide trainings rather internally with their staff or externally out in their community okay that sounds great yes okay so what what prompted you to to do that? Was it um, just something that you always thought about, or is it just something that just happened? Um, it was something that I well, it was I, I'm gonna say it's a combination of both. 
when okay. I, I had worked for an organization in Arizona called My Kid, and I was a suicide prevention coordinator. And mm-hmm. so I think that was kind of like the foundation of me realizing that I want to kind of make this um, my own type of thing to do daily. And okay. I want to travel everywhere. So I've done also a lot of public speaking in colleges and things in that nature around sharing my story and stuff like that. So um, I think it was, yeah, it was definitely a combination of both. Okay, that's great. You know, okay. So, with you starting your own business and you connecting with people across the United States, mm-hmm. okay. So, is it any particular like states that are higher on mental health or suicide awareness? You know, like some people, like inner cities, like bigger cities or like country towns or whatever. Is that is it a difference? What do you mean? Like when it comes to the training or, or... The, the training and the need for the training? Um, so I will say that just what, what I can, what I have access to through mm-hmm. the trainings that I have, it seems like a lot of the... Um, uh, city areas. Okay. You can find a lot more trainers. Um, and then the rural areas is it. I'm not gonna say you can't find any, but it may mm-hmm. be a little bit more challenging because when you talk about rural areas, it may be a little bit hard when you think about transportation and yeah. and and um, the weather and all those different type of variables. But I would say I would start by going to those websites first and seeing who you can find in your area or close to your area and reaching out. Um, so a lot of these trainings are, can be offered virtually. So if it's an issue of like, you know, some people in a rural area wants to join a class, but then they can't find anyone, then you can look for trainers and further out areas in your state and see if they offer it virtually. And you okay. can attend the training virtually or out of state. I've done some virtual trainings where I had people in New York, from California to Florida, you know, so okay. there is optional to have it done virtually. Okay, absolutely. Okay, so before we wrap this up, um, I would like for you to um, drop those websites again and also drop your LLC so people can reach out to you and make this a global thing because everybody needs help and nobody's alone. Absolutely. So do you want me to share it right now or do I have an option? Yeah, yeah, you can share it right now. Okay, awesome. All right, so my um, LLC is called Mentally Holistic and you can find that on Facebook and Instagram. Um, And that's also my Gmail. So if you want to email me, if you need help with finding local trainers in your area or even reaching out to me to do training, um, you can contact me through there. Um, We have the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number. Um, If you're familiar with the rapper Logic, he came out with a song that was the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number a few years back. But that telephone number is 1-800-273-8255. So you can um, reach out to that. That's a national number around suicide. Now, when it comes to mental health, if there's not like a national number that you can call in a sense, Okay. 
Um, I would say start off, reach out to your primary care physician. I would also say maybe research um, your area and see what's there. Um, another good resource as well, because I don't want to leave out this population as well, is okay. the Trevor Project. And that Trevor Project is a national number, a national crisis hotline number, and that's geared more towards the LGBTQ community. Okay. Um, but they have a contact number, so if you feel more comfortable, you know, with that, then that's totally fine. But their contact number is... Okay. You there? I'm still here. Okay. I'm still here. Um, and then the, the Trevor Project number, that telephone number is... I have my screen pull it up here. Um, it's not pulling up at the moment, but you can type in the Trevor Project and you can pull up. Um, and then they have a, a national number that you can call. Um, for for want to include that population as well. Okay, their their telephone number is one eight six six four eight eight seven three eight six. Okay. Um, so that so those are two of those. But I I would also say research and look for your local crisis services. Um, in your locally in your area. Um. Because that varies from state to state, but those are two national numbers I can think of as well that can um that can be helpful. Okay, well, Miss Tamisha Moore, we appreciate you for educating us. We appreciate you for taking time out your busy schedule to come talk to us and help us prevent suicide. I mean, help us understand suicide awareness and mental health. And we're definitely going to have you back. So until next time, this is The Critical View. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, that's the end of today's episode. I appreciate you for listening. I appreciate the reviews, the comments. Keep them coming. All reviews and opinions are appreciated. Always want to get better. Always want to you know, do what's wanted. So until next time, I appreciate you. Have a good day.